I'm going to read Hebrews chapter eight verse, or verse, chapter 11, verses 8 to 22. So hear now God's holy, infallible, and inerrant word. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that was, he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even though she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man, and him as good as dead, were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city." By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. By faith, Isaac invoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau. By faith, Jacob, when dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. By faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave directions concerning his bones. And so ends the reading of God's word. May he bless it. Let's pray together. Father, this is, this is your word, and we ask that you would speak to us clearly. We thank you that you do regard us worthy of hearing your voice, worthy of the gift of faith. We thank you that you call us to that and you call us to live in it. And so, Father, as we look at the example of Abraham, would you increase our faith, sharpen it, and help us to, uh, to adore you. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. What will happen to the works of your hands after you are no longer around. As you know, my family is currently in a period of transition. In many ways, it feels like we are in the slow birth pains of becoming empty nesters. We saw one of our sons get married last year. Another one's getting married in a couple of weeks. Our older daughter just spent her first year away from home in college, and even our youngest, Jocelyn, we see her for a few hours at the bookends of the day when the demands of high school and band and marching band allow her to come home for a little bit of sleep and homework. Um, but the reality is that our lives as a whole, like it or not, we are constantly in a period of transition and change. Things rarely stay the same. From the time that we're young, and we're trying to figure out what it means to be a uh, a person in this life, we're seeking to become one of the bigger kids. And as we get older, we're looking to leave home and become adults. Once we're, we're adults and we're trying to figure out what it is to be an adult, we might look forward to marriage or starting a family. And then once we have a family now, all of our life transitions and phases kind of mirror that of our kids. 
And um, as I was reflecting on the period of transition that we're in, I started thinking about transitions and phases of life that we haven't yet come to, that we will soon, um, saying goodbye to aging parents for the last time, or even beyond that, being the aging parents that on our deathbed are saying goodbye to our kids. And what struck me as I considered that, uh, you know, thinking about the day of our death and our mortality, that's something that our culture frowns upon, but Scripture says is a wise thing for us to do. Um, and as I thought about what struck me was the question or the, the idea that I would no longer be around to help guide and direct my kids through the transitions and phases of their lives. And what struck me was, will my kids hold on to their faith, the faith, the only faith that saves in Jesus Christ? Will they continue to walk by faith in the transitions and aspects of their life when they don't have the voice of mom and dad helping to guide them? Or to put it in terms of Zion Presbyterian Church, Someday, hopefully many, many years from now, I will no longer be the senior pastor of Zion. And will Zion continue to faithfully proclaim the gospel of grace in the midst of this place when every one of us is, is long gone? Um, beloved, we have a faith that spans generations. We have an ancient faith that has lasted thousands of years from generation to generation simply because our God has preserved a legacy of faith from generation to generation. And in our passage today, God puts the spotlight on the man Abraham and his faith. And Galatians chapter 3 makes clear that when we have faith in Christ, we can look back to the man Abraham as our father, that we are children of Abraham by faith. And the promises that God made to Abraham, those promises are our inheritance, that that is passed down from generation to generation to us. And so this is in many ways a family story for us to recount the faith of our father Abraham and what God would show us in this passage, what, what we ought to see is that the, the faith that God demonstrated through Abraham was one that uh, works uh, sacrificial obedience. Sacrificial obedience as God leads us to our heavenly home. And specifically, we'll see uh, three things. Um, faith causes us to sacrifice our past it causes us to sacrifice our present, and it causes us to sacrifice even our future. And then we'll conclude by thinking through how this faith secures for us a legacy of faith that spans even beyond our lives. So let's begin by considering how faith causes us to sacrifice our past. God... Uh, 
when we first uh, see Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, he is living in the land of Ur of the Chaldeans. It was a pagan city. Abraham was likely an idolater, but nevertheless, God called to him and he said, Abraham, Abram, go from your country and your kindred to the land that I will show you. And we can't uh, misunderstand how significant of a call this was, how remarkable of a call this was. There was a, um, an Anglican priest from New Zealand by the name of Stuart Barton Babbage, and uh, he was also the co-founder of Gordon-Conwell Seminary in Massachusetts. And on his office in the church, he had four pictures that looked seemingly identical of a desert wasteland uh, and somebody once asked him, why do you have four pictures of the, the same thing on your wall? And he explained that he had gone to the site that archaeologists believe was Ur of the Chaldeans, and he took a picture, one facing north, one facing south, one facing east, one facing, facing west. And those four pictures were the four pictures that were now hanging on his wall. Uh, Ur was probably a, um, a cultural center because it was a fertile ground. It was right off the Euphrates River. It would have experienced floodwaters, and so it was fertile, and it had culture. But outside of Ur was nothing, just wilderness of desert. And God told Abram, go. Leave everything that you know and go to the land that I will show you. And we don't know, we don't, as far as we know, Abram had never left Ur or didn't even know anybody who had ever been outside the city, but here he was going. And if you think about what it would have taken for him to, what that faith meant for him to leave, he would have, he was bringing his family and all of his belongings, all of his people, he would have had to trust that God would provide and protect for them on this journey to who knows where. How long is the journey? Unknown. Where are we going? Unknown. Is there anything beyond the city walls? Unknown. Only God knew. And he said, follow me. There, the, the city was a place of refuge and security and provision, but outside was the unknown. But more than that, Abram had to trust that what God was leading him to was far better than what he had. He had his past and his home, but God was asking him to leave the only home he had ever known to the unknown. And beloved, when God calls us to faith in Jesus Christ, he calls us from our home to something that is far better. Something that is far better. Um, we have comfort, we have ways of living, we have possessions but he calls us to leave, and he calls us to something that is new and different and unknown, and he doesn't explain to us the details of how that is going to work out. He calls us to have take on new ways of living, new communities of faith, a new source of truth, but something that is, he promises abundance and freedom and joy, but takes faith for us to leave behind what he calls us to leave behind. And 
in so doing, we might leave a lot behind. Abram left a lot behind, but we lose nothing. We lose nothing because God promises everything. And it's possible that you've never clearly heard God's call to you. Abram clearly heard God's call to leave. And God calls us now to faith in Jesus Christ, the faith to leave our past behind. And I am authorized this morning to issue that call to you, to say, if you've never heard the voice of the Lord calling to you, he calls to you now. Put your faith in Christ. Leave behind the sinful past of your life before, the things that you've known, and to embrace Christ with all of your heart. He calls you to something much richer and greater than you could possibly imagine and uh, what your heart is longing for. Others of us claim the name of Christ. And we should look back to where we came from and we ought to see change. Faith in Jesus Christ involves leaving the past behind. There ought to be a difference in our lives. God promises sanctification to, to conform us to the image of Christ. Can you see that change in your heart? And if not, are you clinging to Christ? Have you left the past behind? Um, Abraham didn't know where he was going. God didn't even give him bother to give him those details. But Abram's certainty, his faith was not grounded on the certainty of knowing the details of the path. His faith was grounded in the certainty of knowing who was going to be with him, the person who was going to be with him. God said, I will show you the land. He was, Abraham was confident in the goodness and the strength of our God. And that has to be the grounds of our faith. We want to know the details. We want to know that it's all going to work out. Faith rests in God's power and God's goodness to care for us. He calls us to Christ. The destination is sure, but the waypoints are not. And it is a journey worth taking. Because regardless of the process, God promises that he will be with you and he will be with me. And that in and of itself is marvelous. So faith causes us to sacrifice the past, but also the present. Abram eventually got to the land of Canaan, the land that God said that he would show him, and yet Abram lived as an exile. He lived as a stranger. He didn't accept this as the final destination. He recognized that this wasn't it. This wasn't the fullness of the promise. He, he, was, a, he was clearly an outsider. He would have had a, an appearance, an accent, mannerisms that made him stick out like a sore thumb that this guy does not belong there. I mean, even in our modern day and age, we can detect a accent from New York or Minnesota or Tennessee, and we are connected, in, living in a connected society. How much more than so for that ancient world where cities separated by hundreds of miles would have been worlds apart, worlds apart. And beloved, as Christians, we are called to be exiles. God calls us out of the kingdom of darkness 
into the kingdom of his glorious son. We are in the world, but not of it. And we speak with an accent. We smell with an aroma that is different from the world. We um, have mannerisms that are distinct from the world. We, we speak with the dialect of grace and hope and truth that is confusing or even offensive in the world that we live. We live with mannerisms of compassion and kindness and boldness and love that are foreign to a watching world. We bear an aroma of Christ that Paul says is offensive to many, but delightful to those who are being saved. And that is what God definitively does for us when we uh, walk by faith. But we need to be careful to live by faith as exiles. We cannot seek our blessing, the fullness of our blessing in this life. Andrew Murray said that um, one of the reasons why so many believers seek to grow in their faith but fail is because... We desire to live in God's presence without being willing to forsake the world in which we live. So are you living as a stranger in the midst of the world? Or are you seeking to make this world your homeland? Are you seeking to live by, are you seeking to fit in to adopt the world's ways so that you belong here. Abram looked beyond this land. He was, it says, he was um, looking forward to the city that was um, with, with God as its builder and designer. He was, he was looking for a homeland, a, a better country, a heavenly one. And so must we. Faith doesn't settle for the things that are in this life, the, the, the pleasures, the, the blessings of this life. How are you settling for the temporary blessings of this world? How are you ignoring the eternal blessings, the eternal promise, where that started to fade from view because you're focused on the here and now? Beloved, don't get, don't get me wrong. God does bless us in this life. He is, he is very kind to us in giving us glimpses of that. But don't be duped into thinking that this, the blessings of this life are the fullness of what God has in store for you. God has something immeasurably more, incomparably more, something that is beyond our imagination or even conception. We can't even grasp it. And it's and it's held out for us, protected in heaven, and we need to fix our eyes on that heavenly blessing and tether our hearts to that so that we can live faithfully as exiles here. It's only when we fix our eyes on the heavenly gold, the heavenly blessing, the permanent, can we truly walk by faith in the here and now, and can we truly be of any earthly good. And beloved, that. This is, this is good news. This is marvelous news. Because why would we want to set our hearts on a country or families or friends 
that are rife with conflict? Why would we want to set our hearts on bodies that decay or relationships that never fully satisfy? Why would we pin our hopes on riches that are so easily affected by inflation or the stock market or any such thing? God has promised us richly more. See to it that you do not miss out on your heavenly gift because you have fixed your eyes on the here and now. And we're impatient. We're impatient. We want, we want the blessing now. We don't, we don't want to have to wait. We don't want to have to endure. And I think that's part of what was going on with the, this church initially, initially received the book of Hebrews. This letter is that they had, they had grown weary of persevering, grown weary. Is this, is God really going to bless us? God says, yes, fix your eyes on it. Because Abram wasn't wandering aimlessly. He wasn't just chilling out until he died. He had his eyes set on a heavenly city that God himself built with firm foundations. Beloved, that that same city God holds out to you and to me. It's called the heavenly Zion built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Christ Jesus as the cornerstone into whom we are all being built, where we will be able to dwell in God's presence forever and ever without any effect of the curse. That's our hope, that God will finally save us for himself at the end of the age, if only we persevere to the end and we don't get distracted by the here and now. And by faith, beloved, we remember that this life is but a breath, but a breath. Puritan uh, Jeremiah Burroughs said that if we were to live a hundred years on this life, which is a long time, in the span of eternity, it is but a night. It is like stopping in the inn for an evening. See to it that you don't miss out on eternal blessings for the sake of a momentary pleasure in this life. God has promised us true riches, beloved, but they are not here. They're kept in heaven for you and for me. And yes, we, we actually get glimpses of these this, this blessings in, in, in the here, here and now. We see those blessings even in the life of the church. God, God gives us the blessing of being able to fellowship with him in his presence each and every Lord's Day when we come into his presence and he visits us by his spirit as we gather together as his people. We get to unite our voices proclaiming the excellencies of him who has rescued us from a dominion of darkness and into his glorious light. We get to experience true fellowship by the spirit that unites us, that dwells in each one of us and unites us with the saints of all ages. We get to feast ourselves on the Lord Jesus Christ, which we will get to do for all eternity, beloved. This is a a glimpse. It's a faint glimpse, but it's glorious. And it's, it's food for the journey that we might be able to make it to our heavenly home. And he invites us and commands us to partake of these glimpses so that we might be able to persevere to the end. But it takes sacrifice of our present. It takes sacrifice to detach ourselves from the world that we see and we experience and that calls our name like a siren song. 
So faith calls us to sacrifice our past and our present, but also our future. It sacrifices our future. Abram had sacrificed his past and his present, but now God called him to set aside even his future. And we see this in the life of Isaac. So God had promised Abraham that he would have, he would be the father of multitudes, many nations. He would be a blessing to all the families of the world. And yet he was old. He was getting older by the day. He and his wife were old. And even though his wife Sarah was now 90 years old and her womb was well past the age of childbearing, God said to her, him, to Abram and to Sarah, it's going to be through Sarah that you have a child. And God was faithful. Abram believed God. God was faithful. Isaac was born. And beloved, we can't forget that nothing stops our God from fulfilling his promises. Absolutely nothing. The it was ridiculous enough to make Abraham and Sarah laugh. How could I possibly give birth when I am worn out, she said. And yet, God is not thwarted even by death itself. God brought forth Isaac from the deadness of her womb by faith and gave birth to Isaac. And beloved, God has made precious promises to you, and you can know for certain that he will absolutely and totally fulfill each and every one of them. Nothing can stop him. Not even death can stop him from fulfilling his promises to you. In fact, one pastor said that every time we read God's word and we come across a promise that God makes, we ought to lay our hand upon it and say, this is part of my inheritance. I must live by this because it is sure and certain, just as sure as Isaac was born. But as soon as he was born or he had grown some, God appeared to Abraham and he said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to Mount Moriah and offer him as a sacrifice, as a burnt offering for me. This was the son through whom God had said definitively, through Isaac shall all your children be reckoned. And now God was calling Abraham to believe in the surety of God's promise in the face of the, the death of his own only son. And no doubt this was the hardest moment of Abraham's life. This was the, the son he had waited over a hundred years to have. He loved his son. This was his hope for the future, the hope of the fulfillment of God's promises. No doubt the, the march to Mount Moriah was filled with agonizing tears. How will I lift my hand to slay my son? How will I have the strength to do that? And yet by faith he did. And Hebrews tells us his, 
inner logic of how he how he reasoned with this. He was so certain on the surety of God's promises that he, in the face of impossible circumstances, he, he said, well, perhaps God is able to raise from the dead. He brought this son to life out of a dead womb. Perhaps even when I kill him, God will raise him from the dead. That must be the explanation. And God did that very same thing. God rescued Isaac from Abram's hand and preserved the boy's life. And beloved, faith obediently obeys God. Even in the face of impossible circumstances, even when we don't see exactly how this could possibly match up with our intended hope for the future. Or even how it matches with other of God's commands God had, or, or promises. God had promised that Isaac would have children. So Abram had to say, I will obey what God is commanding me now and trust him for the circumstances. And true faith accepts what? God commands us to do, obeys God, and and promise or trust that God will deliver on what He says He will do. And it results in total surrender to to our God and obedience. Because if we rest secure on the truth of what of God's word, and we know He will never fail then how could we not obey what he's saying? How could we let our fear of the future or the unknown dictate that we're going to obey, we're going to disobey so that we can bring about a circumstance that we want? Beloved, beware of your fear of circumstances that keep you from obeying God completely from the heart. Trust in God's faithfulness to bring about his purposes. Trust him to do exactly what he says he will do and be exactly who he says he will be and stake your life on it. Stake your obedience on it. Trust in his perfect power and whoever trusts in him will never be put to shame. Beloved, the perfect example of this is the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ who knew where he was going. He was called by the Father to leave his heavenly home to come and be like us. He knew he was coming to seek and to save us for himself. He knew that he was coming in this world, that he would establish his kingdom, but that his kingdom was not of this world. And in his faithfulness by which we are saved... He staked his very life on the faithfulness of God. He, for the joy set before him, endured the cross. He willingly gave his life up, knowing that he had, would have the power to take it up again. 
knowing that God would be faithful, and God was faithful. He did not let his Holy One see decay. He raised him from the dead and has seated him with all authority on heaven and earth, and he is waiting for all of his enemies to be put as a footstool under his feet, and he can make all things new. All those things are there. God was faithful to him, and beloved, that is our hope. That is God placing the Lord Jesus Christ on display to show us the surety of our, of our faith, to show us that God did his wonderful work in the most improbable of circumstances, even when he had been dead for three days, God raised him from the dead and has seated him with all authority. That is our God, beloved. That is the surety of his promises to you. He will be faithful for us who are walking by faith in Christ Jesus. Live with, the obe with obedient trust in your God. Walk by faith in Jesus Christ and you will see your salvation. You will, just as the Lord Jesus Christ has. Finally, beloved, what we need to see is that true faith secures a legacy. Abram reached the end of his life and he did not receive the fullness of all the promises that God had given to him. And yet he remained secure in the fact that he would see those promises. He perhaps reasoned that if God could extend the promises beyond the deadness of his wife's womb or the, dead, the potential deadness of his son, that maybe his reception of the promises extended even beyond his own life. And by faith, he cultivated a legacy of faith. He secured a legacy of faith with those children that came after him. Abram passed his faith on to Isaac, who blessed Jacob and Esau. Jacob then took those blessings of that, that inheritance of faith and passed it on to the sons of Joseph. And then it extended generation after generation to the point that even Joseph, when he was established in Egypt with honor and authority, even then his faith, his blessing was not rooted in the treasures of Egypt. But even still, he gave instructions to bring his bones back to the land of promise after his death. And beloved, we know that that legacy of faith, which started from Abraham, was passed down from generation to generation, has passed down through the ages down to you and me. Because scripture is clear that by faith, we are connected to even Abraham and his faith, that we are children of him, recipients of those same promises. And even the generations that come after us are part of that same legacy of faith. Abraham never received it. It says that um, he, he, he greeted those promises or saluted them from afar, having acknowledged that, that they were there. And so must we. we. We must see with the eyes of faith those promises that are ours and hold out beyond our lives for this faith. And we are part of the same family or spiritual family tree, beloved. 
And that is God's plan, is to pass along this faith, this legacy of faith from generation to generation. He commands us, teach these things to your children. But also we extend a, we perpetuate a legacy of faith with new spiritual generations when Jesus said, go and make disciples, disciples of a new generation. Beloved, we have a faith that is worth sharing because it is true. We have a faith that's worth sharing because this is the only means of salvation in Jesus Christ. And we have a faith that's worth sharing because our God is gracious and marvelous. And that faith compels us to pass it along to future generations. We must do this. So, beloved, our God called Abraham out of his homeland. He called him to go to a place he didn't know. He called him to live as an exile. And he called him to leave a legacy of faith that extended beyond his life. And, beloved, in Jesus Christ, he calls you and me to a similar thing. He calls us to leave behind our past and to live as exiles in the midst of this life, even as we pass along this faith to future generations. He calls to you, beloved, to trust in the surety of his promises in Jesus Christ. He calls to you so that he might give you blessings and riches and honor beyond all that you could ask or imagine. Something that is beyond even your wildest dreams because God promises to be with us, to dwell among us forever and ever. And Lord willing, he will preserve a legacy of faith that extends from generation to generation, even through our labors. Beloved, he who promised is faithful. He will surely do it. Trust in him with all of your heart. Let's pray. Lord, thank you that you are faithful from generation to generation. Thank you that your mercies are new every morning, and yet your, your grace is eternal and spans from age to age. Father, help us to be faithful in our lives, our short momentary lives upon this earth. Lord, we cannot do this apart from your work in us. We need you to give us faith. We need your spirit to help us to walk by faith. We need the surety that we are secure in Jesus Christ. We need to do all this through hearing your voice. And so, Father, just help us to meditate on these things, to hear clearly, to put them into action, to lay our hands upon these promises, and to walk in them. For you are indeed faithful. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.